probably the biggest moment for me was when I extracted out of my scientific career and then took that kind of leap into, into the commercial world. I had so many people saying to me, you can always come back when this thing that you're trying to do doesn't work. And I think that was really hard to overcome because it makes you second guess everything. But then when we, you know, took that leap and actually worked in that business together and got our first contract through, you know, Victorian government, it was quite a big contract. And we thought, you know what, we can do this. And it's where I really thought I have a greater capability than what I've leveraged up until this point. Welcome to episode 115 of Be The Drop, a weekly podcast that shares stories from a wide range of successful people to help you learn from their experiences. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Moving from the academic to commercial sector is daunting as that transition from research and testing to selling in a competitive market involves a steep learning curve. Michelle Perrigini is one example who has made the transition from academic science to successful startup business. Combining a background as a stem cell biologist with the rising power of artificial intelligence has seen Michelle become a leading technology innovator. She sold her first startup business to Ernst & Young in 2015 and has then gone on to co-found Life Whisperer, a technology company that uses AI to better select healthy embryos for IVF. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Michelle talks us through the challenges of startup business. She shares her experiences as an entrepreneur creating products in international markets, and we discuss how she finds happiness and meaning in working hard. This is Michelle's version of Be The Drop. This episode was produced in support of South Start Conference, an event that celebrates the collision of people, ideas and technology. If you're in Adelaide, don't miss this awesome event at the Town Hall from the 21st to 23rd of November. Link to program and ticket details has been included in this episode's show notes. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us for our next episode of Be The Drop. Uh, thank you for having me. So we're going to be talking about life whispering and all sorts of other tech startups. But before we do, you've got your item of significance here, and that's something that connects you with what you do and the community that you've built around it. So can you explain what that is, please? Sure. It's a lovely platter um, that I won last year at the Innovation Awards, and it was for Emerging Innovator um, of the Year, which is something I'm just really proud of because it, it's all about showcasing women in business. And I think it's important for women like myself to get out there and, and show what we can do. Fantastic. And so the emerging technology that it was relating to, can you explain us like what that is? Sure, that was um, related to Life Whisperer. So what Life Whisperer does is um, uses AI to analyze images of embryos during the IVF process and it helps doctors to pick the best embryos that are most likely to create a pregnancy. It's quite close to my heart because I had quite a lot of trouble conceiving my first child, Robbie. Um, I now have two beautiful children, so fortunately um, that didn't hold me back. But it is quite an emotional and taxing process on impending parents. Anything that can kind of help improve that 
process or get them to that outcome quicker is just really amazing. But it was quite serendipitous how I came across that particular concept. Um, I was mentoring a PhD student through a commercialisation program in Adelaide called eChallenge. And it's where Adelaide University students come and they bring an idea or a concept that they have and they get some business mentoring to try and help them determine whether it's commercially viable or not. Um, and I met Jonathan Hall during that process and I was his mentor and he had this idea about non-invasive imaging of embryos. And I just really loved it and connected with it. After I think the second meeting, I said to him, let's let's take this on and create a business and see what we can do. Mm, fantastic. And so is Jonathan still involved? He is, absolutely. So um, it's actually myself, Jonathan, and my husband, Don Perugini, who's um, an ex-defence scientist and had did a PhD in artificial intelligence. So really nice kind of co combination of computer vision, deep tech, AI, and my health background. Mm. So so tell us a little bit more about that background of yours because you've been through this process before. Can you just tell us a little bit about your previous business sure. and then I'd like to bridge across into what happened in between and, and why you decided to do it again. Yeah, sure, sure. I started off as a stem cell biologist, did my PhD in medicine, spent around 10 years in that area um, looking at genetics and, and prognostic markers for cancer um, detection and treatment. Loved it, absolutely loved that. But we had this amazing opportunity about um, 10 years ago where Don was um, working on some technology in Department of Defence that we thought could be commercialised and could be taken out and applied to practical applications, not military applications. So the business was called ISD Analytics and it was using AI, um, but it was behavioural AI. So that was all about modelling consumer behaviour and modelling whole populations of consumers and trying to understand their response to new policies or products in the market and then mimicking that in software to be able to test new strategies. And we sold that business to Ernst & Young in 2015. We integrated that product into their global suite of analytics tools over the next year and a half. Mm, that's obviously a big process, a journey to go through. What was your feelings at that point of sale? Oh, um, it was amazing. I think we weren't really actually looking for an acquisition. We were on our way to America to get investment funding and to grow the business that way. And then we were approached by um, someone in the acquisitions team at Ernst & Young. It seemed like a really nice fit because they've got a big advisory practice for large companies and they generally involve kind of large populations of consumers. And um, it was a really nice way for them to put evidence base behind their decisions. So it, it was a really nice fit for us at the time. And I think we'd been going for um, just over eight years at that point. And it was just the right time for us to make that decision. So it was an amazing outcome for us. Mm. And so then you mentioned that you must be crazy to then decide to do it again. What, why is that the comment? Oh, I just think it's funny. You know, you go through this big process and I think once we had the acquisition, it was kind of a bit of a, took a bit of a breather. And then that was a crazy period um, integrating into a, into a new business. You know, all of the financial freedom that you've developed from, from the previous acquisition goes straight back out into the new ventures. So you've really got to love what you, what you doing and you've really got to believe in it um, to, to want to do it again. 
Yeah. So and then so then you did. You take made that decision. You're going to do it again. Mm. So how do you go about that? Starting from scratch and building, you know, trust, building relationships, building commercial relationships yeah. to actually, you know, sell what you're trying to to produce. Yeah. It's definitely all about the relationships. Everything is about relationships in business, and I think it's one of the reasons why. Um, it was a lot more difficult in our first business than it is now because we just didn't have those networks. Um, and we were developing a really difficult, deep technology that people didn't understand and AI kind of was a dirty term at that stage. Mm. And, and what has been the best way for you to reach those end customers? How do you even get them? Like, uh, <laughs> it's this new product, you're like, oh, who are they? Yeah. And where do you find them? And how do you communicate with them? Uh, it's nothing flashy. You cold call and you knock on a lot of doors and you go through your networks, your entrenched networks, and you say, hey, does anyone know this person from this company? We do a lot of strategy work around identifying who those customers are, which are our target markets, um, and for Life Whisperer, it's the US, um, is our first international target market, and obviously Australia. Um, so we go to the, the big reputable players within those markets first and foremost, try and get them over the line, um, set up partnerships with those early, early customers. And um, in our case, it was all about getting data. So we needed to identify those clinics that had the relevant data that we would need and were willing to work with us in order mm. for us to build our product. And you mentioned you know when you were doing it 10 years ago with your previous business there wasn't the support networks in Adelaide that exist now and one of the support networks that we're both involved in is Southstar which is run by the Moonshine Lab and some other key partners in South Australia who are really in interested and passionate about supporting entrepreneurs and the startup community in South yeah. Australia yeah. so you're speaking at that event which is I think starting on the 20th third of November yep. and I'm actually a media partner for that because obviously we're both you know really passionately supporting that group and believe in the importance of it but can you talk to us a little bit about why you think having these groups and running conferences such as the South Start Conference are so important in this space? There's so many reasons, so many reasons. The first and foremost is getting everyone together and connected and have everyone kind of in the room together, talking together and having a frank conversation about business and what we're doing well as a state and perhaps some of the things that we could do better. Um, and that's what I'll be talking about at South Start. Just my experiences having built businesses here and how we can really build a supportive ecosystem. And um, some of the things that are, are missing, but some of the things that we're working on. And I think the Office of the Chief Entrepreneur, which is a new um, formation as part of the new government here, is really making a push to, you know, to drive that innovation agenda and bring that ecosystem together in a really coherent way. And I think um, part of my role on the panel is to talk about the things that are being done and some of the things that we haven't done yet, but some of the things that we need to be doing as a state. And some of that is about bringing investment here so that these companies that are kind of growing and thriving in the early stages have enough capital to be able to get through to sales or revenues um, and can actually build global businesses from South Australia. Obviously, we've lost some things in the state like, you know, manufacturing, the car industry. Um, but I think there's a huge opportunity in the high tech space because it really doesn't matter where you are in the world. With high tech, you can reach global markets, you can build scalable products, but you still need the supportive ecosystem to 
build those businesses and capabilities here. And I think we've just got a really unique opportunity with all the universities and the Department of Defence and the um, Biomed District down in the West End um, to be able to bring all of that talent and um, research together and really build these amazing commercial um, businesses. Mm, and there is some really fantastic things that are coming out of South Australia. So it's really exciting to celebrate that as, as well. And I know that they've got, I think it's two days of conference speakers. So there's a lot happening. And then there's an icebreaker event, which is sort of an entrepreneur's startup speed dating <laughs> Tinder meet startup or yep. something. <laughs> yeah, I've not been to the icebreaker yet, but um, I will be going this year and I'm really looking forward to it. It is like a on mass speed dating, which is good because for entrepreneurs who are kind of new to the space, is a good opportunity to meet a whole lot of new people all at once. Um, but you also get to meet, you know, investors and kind of mix with the investors and entrepreneurs and um, people from government and all sorts of all sorts of people with that. And it can be lonely, you know, starting up a business and you're doing a lot of things by yourself or in a very small, you know, group yeah. of people. So just meeting other people that can share your sort of experience and feel your pain <laughs> yeah I think that that's what it's all about it's all about just kind of sharing that journey and if you don't have that it is very lonely it is absolutely an important thing and so it's really great that we've got this opportunity and this support network in the state one of the other things that you've talked about is this high-end deep technology mm. and AI is one of them and you said you know 10 years ago it was a bit of a dirty word mm. so for you being in that space what's that journey been like I think it's a really great time now. I think it's almost um, flipped the other way now where every everyone thinks that they need to embed AI into their business, which is slightly frustrating because what ends up happening is people who are inexperienced in the space try and leverage AI kind of in the wrong ways or it doesn't work effectively in a commercial sense. Um, so I think we need to be a little bit careful of that kind of overhyping of the, of the industry, but it's certainly better having that situation than, you know, than having AI being this kind of voodoo um, technology that no one really understood. So, and really the being able to leverage AI is all about creating efficiencies, improving accuracy, reducing workload. And in the case of Life Whisperer, it's providing additional information that the embryologist can't see visually when they're looking at the embryo down the microscope. So there's a huge amount of value that AI can provide across so many different industry sectors. So it's a really exciting time. Mm, and so, for example, with Life Whisperer, you know, as you mentioned, it's for parents, it's a really emotional time and it's a challenging time. If you can, you know, sort of take some of that risk out of it and improve the probabilities, what a fabulous outcome. Yeah, correct. And it's a fabulous outcome for the clinicians as well because they genuinely want their patients to get pregnant. They don't like fronting up to patients and saying, hey, despite our best efforts, it didn't work this time because that's a hugely emotional um, situation for them as well. So I think anything that can put more surety and more evidence base around the decision about which embryo should be used is is only going to be great for, for both the clinic, the um, clinicians and the families. Mm. So what are your next steps with the business? We're finalising our clinical testing now. So what we're doing is looking at how well our current AI generalises to different clinical environments um, and that's due to be finished by the end of this year and then we're looking to go through the regulatory approval process at the start of next year and hopefully have the product out to marketing quarter three next year. 
here mm. in, in the US and perhaps even earlier in Australia. Mm. So then, you know, once you get to that stage of taking it to market, you're, you know, one of the key areas will be taking it to market in America. Yeah. How do you go about knowing how to do that? How do, <laughs> <laughs> what happens then? Again, you just, it's about, I mean, we travel extensively, um, not just to America, but everywhere in the world, um, develop those networks, go to conferences. There's two big fertility conferences every year, one that happens in Europe and one that happens in the US. Um, we're always present at those functions. Everyone knows who Life Whisperer is. They understand what we're doing. They're watching our progress. So it's about developing those networks over time whilst doing those that mm. testing. And we've also got around 15 clinics globally that we're working with in terms of clinical testing. So I guess it's about, you know, them talking about their experience with us to others within the industry. And then it's kind of a network effect. And once people know about it and it's on the market, then it becomes much easier to kind of leverage that existing network and get the product out. Mm, so in a way, you start marketing before it's actually taken to market. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> all of the marketing needs to happen well in advance because I think it's important to talk to all the end users and the customers and actually see whether this thing that you're building and going through all these clinical trials with is something that they would utilize. Um, I think that's really important. So we've done a lot of market testing, a lot of talking to different clinics um, and and trying to understand their, you know, incentivizers and, and how they operate in the clinical environment and make mm. sure that the product is going to work for them. Mm. So next year will be a, a really big year for you guys. Yeah, next year is going to be huge. And I just, I can't wait. I, I'm just so excited about getting this product to market. I just want want to see people using it and benefiting from it. That's, mm. that's kind of my end goal. Yeah, well, we'll yeah. look forward to watching that as well. So I'd also like I asked my guests to share with me a, a quote that means something to them and something that's important in your life. What is your quote? So this is my quote. It's happiness does not come from easy work, but from the afterglow of satisfaction that comes after the achievement of a difficult task that demands our best. Oh, I can see why this is a bit of a long one, <laughs> but I really like it because it, everyone needs to have a purpose. Everyone needs to have a purpose and that purpose is always more satisfying if you, if you fulfill that purpose and it's taken you a really you know, difficult time getting there or you've really had to extend yourself and learn new things to be able to achieve that. And I think that's really important. That's kind of my mantra. Mm, yeah, I can definitely see that. And so it's, you know, with, with the hard work comes the rewards, Correct. really. Correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you're certainly putting yourself through that. Yeah. <laughs> you're living the quote. Yeah. That leads in really well to then, you know, the, the challenges come with rewards. What for you has been the biggest challenges um, in, in either your current business or the previous previous one but in really getting a startup off the ground what is what's the biggest challenge I mean I'm sure there's so I many I know there's so many it's always really difficult and I always pick a different one every time I get interviewed but I think overall the biggest challenge is actually not knowing if you're going to get there or not knowing how long it's going to take or not knowing whether your funding's going to be able to support you to get there or not knowing whether people are going to buy the thing that you've built once you've built it so it's kind of it's all of that I think it's just a little bit of that fear of the unknown and when you go through this process for a second or third time, it's very different because you kind of become more at ease with not knowing. 
I think you kind of learn to let go of that fear over time. But I think for first time entrepreneurs, that's really challenging. Mm, yeah, it is. Yeah. That lack of control. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so have you oh. got a story that you can share, which is a key, you know, something that really stands out as maybe an aha moment along your journey or something that was, you know, a pivotal moment or succession of moments that really helped you learn something key that's, that's you know, sort of helped you get where you are today? Probably the biggest moment for me was when I extracted out of my scientific career and then took that kind of leap into into the commercial world. I think that was really hard for me because I had so many people saying to me, why would you leave a successful scientific career? You know, you're crazy. Oh, you know, you can always come back when this thing that you're trying to do doesn't work. You know, there was a lot of kind of... I think there was a general lack of confidence. I was always confident in myself and so was my husband, but I think there was a general kind of feeling of, why would you do this, it's crazy. And I think that was really hard to overcome because it makes you second guess everything. Um, but then when we you know, took that leap and actually worked in that business together and got our first contract through you know, Victorian government, it was quite a big contract. And we thought, you know what, we can do this. This is kind of a reputable customer. We've built something of value. Let's just keep going. And I think that it was kind of, that was a defining moment for both of us, I think. And it's where I really thought, you know, I have a greater capability than what I've leveraged up until this point. And I have much more to give that I want to learn and want to be able to achieve more than what I had done previously. This is kind of why I do a lot of mentoring at the universities because I really want people to understand that it's not such a long bow to draw between academia and commercial. Um, and really, if you don't commercialise your ideas, then they won't be leveraged or used by anyone. And so no one gets to benefit, right? Mm. So it's kind of a, a necessary part of the whole journey. The research is incredibly important. Um, developing new technologies, incredibly important. But the commercialization of those technologies is also incredibly important. Mm. And it's very research intensive what we do. Mm. Um, but it's just taking it that next step to building something that can actually be practically applied and used in the real world. Mm, yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining me. In conclusion, though can you share with me Michelle's be the drop tip so that's your top tip for building a community around your business so my be the drop tip is follow your passion be your best and succeed through maintaining credibility mm, yeah fantastic yeah. and that credibility is something that's so important yeah that will follow you everywhere yeah, yeah because I think you know as you said relationships are key and if you don't have credibility then you will struggle to build those relationships absolutely oh, thank you so much no thank you so much for having me Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me 
via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop. And look what comes from that.